1: Brian
0: Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me is Marianne Williamson, who's running for president, and we're going to talk a little bit about the stuff that goes on when you run for president and the issues she'd like to address. So stick around.
1: We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.
0: Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. I am your host Brian Caraman. with me uh, talking about presidential politics, her run for the uh, office of president in 2024 is Marianne Williamson. Marianne, you ran in 2020 as well. It eventually, dropped out and gave your um, support to. Um, I it wasn't wasn't Biden, was it? You gave your support yeah. to uh, Bernie uh, Sanders, uh-huh. um, and mm-hmm. so now we, here we are in 2024, and uh, I, I I guess you're running because you'd like to be president. But what do you think uh, those chances actually are of you being successful?
2: Uh, first of all, American politics is extremely uh, unpredictable. No one uh, at this point in the race gave Trump a chance of being president. I remember a time when uh, Barack Obama supposedly didn't stand a chance. Yeah. At the same time, I'm yeah, not naive well. enough. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's just part of the horse race narrative promulgated by those who want to keep the situations as they are. I didn't do this thinking I had some great probability of becoming president. But I think in anything in life, you shouldn't be guided by what you think you'll be successful at so much as by what you think needs to be done, what the right thing to do is. And there are different layers of success. Well, uh, let I'm me saying ask you that. Yes.
0: What do you think needs to be done? And what do you think is wrong with American politics?
2: I think that what's wrong is that we are no longer a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. I think that that has perished from the earth. I think we're a government of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. I think there is a matrix of corporate power, insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, big food, big ag, chemical companies, gun manufacturers, big oil uh, banks to some extent, and the defense industry. And at this point, they have turned our own government into a system of legalized bribery. And in issue after issue, public policy does more to enable the short-term profit maximization goals of the donors to our legislators than to serve the safety, health, and well-being of the American people. To the point where we have what we have. We've had a $50 trillion transfer of wealth from the bottom 90% of Americans over the last 50 years, complete hollowing out of our middle class, 70% of Americans who live with what they call uh, chronic economic anxiety, over 30% of Americans who report regularly skipping meals, 62% of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck, the majority of Americans who can't even absorb a $1,000 unexpected expenditure. Now, we have the fascists at the door here. We have the fascists at the door. This This race in 2024, it's not going to be so much like 2020, it's going to be like 2016. And I think that the democratic elite in uh, this country today are doing the same thing they did in 2016, completely blind, completely delusional regarding the amount of rage and despair that's out there. Bernie Sanders spoke to it and Donald Trump spoke to it and I'm speaking to it. And if the you know, the elite establishment Democrats, I was reading an article today, they think we're going to win in 2024 by, by saying what? Heal the soul of the nation? And by by scaring people, that's not gonna work the way it did four years ago. The the, mm-hmm. the now risk... who's
0: doing the scaring? Who who you're accusing of doing the scaring?
2: Oh, well, first of all, it's not a warning that is un, unreasonable. The the warning No, but you again, said not scaring. That I...
0: I mean I I okay. I I take it there's a there's a, a particular candidate who's trying to scare. Yeah, well, people.
2: The, the Biden administration is saying. I mean, that's not something like some outrageous opinion. They are counting on warning people of the dangers of Donald Trump. Now, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with the neo with the I thought that there's a, a neo fascist threat there. I don't disagree with that. All I'm saying is that that was enough of itself. To bring people to the polls in 20, uh, as it did in 2020, to stand in line for seven hours. What I'm saying is that this year is different. And the threat for Democrats in 24 is not, de- not Trump. People are going to vote for Trump who are going to vote for Trump. Some people are going to vote for him, even if he's in prison. The danger, electorally, for the Democrats in 2024 is how many people are going to stay home. If they're not inspired to do something more than to believe that Bidenomics served them, Bidenomics is serving twenty. percent What do you think of, of the
0: idea, according to the Democrats, that um, the thing that will bring them to the polls more than anything else is that seventy percent of the P- American people support a woman's right to choose and have been denied that? Isn't that enough to
2: drive people to the polls? Let's hope so, but I'm I'm not sure it'll be enough uh, completely. I think that that's certainly, I think that that's going to play. Uh, very well for Democrats. Not that I want to see something as draconian as the Dobbs decision as you know a political opportunity, but I do think it will bring people to the polls in the uh, congressional races and in the senatorial races. But for president, I don't think that's going to be enough to uh, reelect um, Joe Biden. It would be enough, though. Uh, what my agenda represents is a real alternative to fascism. You know what? Uh, and what is said, that? What
0: do you think is it? Well, first of all, describe for me, uh, people use this term loosely as they use communism, as they use democracy. What define for me what you mean by fascism first, and then tell me what you would do to counter it as a president.
2: When you're talking about book banning, when you're talking about diminishing the rights of people, literally diminishing the rights of people, when you're talking about policies that that purport to believe that some people should have rights in the, in the United States and other people should not, that is undemocratic. That is the opposite of, of democracy. When you talk as the way Donald Trump does talk, as though he's, he he has the rights of some dictator to say what should be okay. and what should not be. So what so, would you do
0: to counteract that?
2: Well, I agree with uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who said we would not have to worry about a uh, fascist uh, takeover in this country as long as democracy delivered on its promises. Our problem is that democracy is not delivering on its promises. If democracy were delivering on its promises, we would have what every other advanced democracy has, universal health care, tuition pre college and tech school, uh, guaranteed uh, sick pay, subsidized child care paid family leave and a guaranteed living wage we have got to offer the american people more you can't say to I, people i, I understand that." I, I, to I, feed I, their-
0: i'm sorry i understand that and, and and i i do apologize for interrupting but you make interesting points so i want to kind of hammer them no, but that's all right um and and, and i'm sorry too but here, here you go so you say that you would deliver on those all right you have just Involved a matrix of elitism and corporate uh, uh, ownership of the American uh, democracy, you know, uh, and so not having a democracy. So, if all that you say about universal health care, things people are generally, you know, in favor of, but how would you get there as president? Because that seems to be, you know, the question that everyone has on their mind is. All right. You say you're against fascism. That's a good thing. And Donald Trump, I'm not going to argue with you there. I covered four years of that administration. He tried to take my press pass. I had to sue him in court three times. I, I'm all there with you on that. But how do you get to the point where you defend democracy and enact those things that you say that we need? Because if corporate sponsorship uh, keeps it from happening, you have you, you you have quite a problem. So how would you
2: deal with that? The president does not have a magic wand. We don't want the president to have a magic wand. No, I agree. Yeah, no. And the president is, you know, one of three co-equal branches of government. Nobody who hears me uh, thinks that I'm saying or believes that I can just go in there and say, we're going to have these things. No, but what would you do? I understand that. Okay. First of all, it depends on what any president, I don't care who it is, uh, a lot's going to be different, whether you have the party in power versus the, uh, your party not in power in both the House and in the Senate. Uh, and obviously, even if you have both houses, Biden had both houses uh, for his first two years. On the other hand, he had mansion and cinema. So no president, the president lays out her vision. Whether or not she'll, she'll be able to make everything happen legislatively, of course, everybody understands that. But at the same time, it, you it, it, first of all, I always feel like if people, uh, are at a point. And, and, and I remind you, the majority of Republicans as well as Democrats want universal health care. We have one in four Americans living with medical debt. People realize um, the desperate situation this is for so many people. It's going to depend on who you're, uh, who you're, um, uh, your house and your Senate are, obviously, but if nothing else, using the bully pulpit. We have a president who said that he would uh, veto any Medicare for all bill. This is why I believe that we need someone to come in from the outside. The only reason we don't have universal health care in the United States is not because it's complicated, but because it's corrupt. There's only one factor there, and that is the institutionalized greed of the insurance companies. And you need a president who says so. And the only reason we have 1.3 million people who are rationing their insulin in this country is because the institutionalized greed of ph- big pharmaceutical companies. The only reason we have carcinogens in our food is because the institutionalized greed of, of a big food. And okay. you need someone who's going to come yeah. in from the outside, not worrying about whether or not, you know, oh, they're not going to donor, uh, be our donors. They're not going to primary. That's why you need somebody to come in there for four years who's going to lay it down the way it really is. And that's cool. the kind of president that I would be.
0: The that being said, the Biden administration mm-hmm. recently talked about you know there are ten drugs that they've renegotiated lower prices for, uh, and that and so what would you do? I, I, and they're making they're touting that very heavily. So mm-hmm. as battling but you, pharma, but so the question okay. is, what would no, you? No, 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 no. No, you no, don't no, agree.
2: No. You no, and I don't it's not even a matter of I don't agree. You don't either. You know the truth of that situation. First of all, there's a bill. I'm uh, asking you. I'm not I'm not pre- okay. I'm not pretending <laughs> okay. to know what the truth is. I'm just asking the Just ask the question. Okay, and there are there are uh, situations where they could use the marching rights right now. Uh, the marching rights that were given by the By Bi- uh, Dole Act in 1980 gives the government the opportunity. If one dollar of taxpayer money is used in the development of any drug, theoretically, they have the marching rights and could lower some of those drugs. And that's already been proven with some of the cancer drugs that they chose not to lower. As far as those ten, ten drugs, let's let's go back. The government should never have given the pharmaceutical companies the power they have, given away their power to negotiate. So 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 we're going to have 10 drugs. Do you know who gets to determine which those drugs will be?
0: Well, yes. As was told to us by uh, the president, it was uh, members of the administration meeting with members of uh, insurance pharmaceuticals and doctors and patients. It was a consortium of people that uh, dole out the drugs those who get the drugs and medicaid recipients were one of the ones
2: who spoke out the loudest so i, I do not it's still uh acquiescence to the corporate control of big pharmaceutical companies and big insurance companies so they should not have the power they have well i'll give you an example they're touting the fact that Please. uh that insurance is thirty five. They got it to the point where if you're over sixty five uh, uh, years old, uh, that, you're gonna get, uh, that you're going to get that you're going to get insulin uh, for a cap at thirty five dollars. Uh, first of all, to be honest, Trump did that, and second of all, it should be free. So what you do is you stand for universal health care. You say we should have universal health care, and don't kid yourself. The um, the articulation on the bully pulpit, you know, Franklin Roosevelt said, the primary responsibility of the president is not just administrative, but moral leadership. And the bully pulpit is a large part of the power of the presidency. There should be universal health care. There should be Medicare for all. And when people say, how do you do it? We already have Medicare, which more than not does work. You make it for all. And um, so when you talk about how we're going to negotiate with the insurance companies, when it comes to the safety, the health and well-being of the American people, 68,000 Americans who die every year from lack of health care, 85 million Americans who are underinsured or uninsured, 18 million Americans who cannot afford to pay the prescriptions that their doctors give them, this shouldn't even be something you negotiate. This should be something where the corporate power of of insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies should be repudiated, and the president should be an unequivocal advocate for the working people of all people of the United States, and uh, even a president who says that.
0: I'm sorry, I understand your your kickback, and I understand those facts and figures, and they're well well known to most of us, but the question is, can you hold (laughs) – it's the levers of power in D.C. that you have to pull. Depends it, on who. Right. Well, there's a so, limit. There's so a limit the to president. Here's the I'm question. Sorry. That's
2: all right. All right.
0: I, I enjoy the enthusiasm. <laughs> but the, you would, uh, there's two arguments to be made that you will hear from others is that in order to make effective change, you have to A, compromise and be understand that uh, politics is the art of half a loaf. And then you also have to come to bipartisan solutions. And so far, Biden has been able to do that in a couple of instances, particularly on the infrastructure bill. And now working in AI, there's a that's going on. So the question I have is what would how would you be able as an outsider to pull those levers if you've not had the interaction with those people who make those decisions? So while you may you may criticize them, but you have to work with them. Yes. So how would you work with them?
2: Well, first of all, I I do want to uh, say that I do appreciate what the president has been saying over the last few days about AI. So I do believe that he's been uh, robust and bold, and I appreciate that. On these other issues, we're talking about incremental changes. And we're talking about a conversation on the part of the president that still is within the context of we'll do the best that we can do. You know, when someone says, uh, well, you know, what would you be able to do different? I wouldn't be able to do anything different on a certain level, given who your 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 um, your congressmen and your senators are, except I would name it as it is. The fact that the president does not stand for a public option. The fact that the president does not stand for Medicare for all. That's a big difference. Even if it is at a certain point, not a big difference in, in Congress, it's a big difference in terms of leadership and the minds of the American people. What's happening now, if you have a president, for instance, uh, Barack Obama had said he was for universal health care. He said he was for the public option. Then he got there and clearly they got to him. And clearly Obamacare was simply he was told this is as far as the insurance companies will let you to go, let you go. And then well, he said, there another the- way to look
0: at it, though. I mean, isn't it, it? It's not how far the insurance companies will let you go. It's what you can get going forward. The art of half a loaf. You can get this average. much
2: and then go back and get more later if you can. But my point is that that is the excuse that people make for corporatist Democrats. The Republicans don't look but at
0: power that way. Politi- yeah, I understand that. <clears throat> but I say certainly, the, the Republicans believe my way or the highway. And if you don't- I, No, I mean, listen, maybe-
2: listen. The Democrat, you and I would agree, I'm sure, based on what you just said, that, Democrat, that Republican presidents have overreached and abused the power of the presidency. I'm not saying I want to go in there and abuse the power of the presidency, but I'm saying that Democrats can go in there and use the power of the presidency more than we can. The last Democratic president who actually tried, who actually tried when it came to universal health care was Bill Clinton. OK, well, he tried, did. He, right, did that, that aside, he did try
0: that aside. So that's my that point. Was he so, able I to do it?
2: A, no, yeah. he was not. He was not able to succeed, but he tried i, I get and in I get, ways how you that feel, in ways that 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 i don't
0: necessarily disagree with how you feel my question is you, you're running for president of the united states and yes. i'd like to know what it is that you would bring to the game that could change it being an outsider doesn't give you the ability necessarily to to handle the very people that you're going to have to deal with which is what it's, trump found out what uh, you know Many of the so-called outsiders that have come into office or have been successful are those who work with those people inside. And and no matter at the end of the day, one of the things that we don't have today is a government that works with itself. So how how would you change that? Because that's probably the biggest, biggest problem you're going to have or any president has is getting those who don't agree with you to work with you. That's something that Biden has been able to do, but we haven't. Trump never did. I
2: actually I disagree with a couple of assertions you just made.
0: Okay, go for it. That's that's why we're here. Uh,
2: (laughs) Donald Trump was a very effective president in horrifying ways. Don't get me wrong. But Donald Trump did come in there and just said what he thought should be and had a great effect in large part because of what he with the American people. So unfortunately, you can't say it didn't work. Unfortunately, because of the things he was trying to do, it did work. Um, secondly, once again, of course it's about negotiation, but it's also about laying down a vision. We have allowed, because of the Democrats being constantly willing, the corporatist Democrats, constantly willing to acquiesce. The Overton window has moved so far to the right. So when it comes to whether it's Obama or, or um, uh or Biden, I don't agree with you that they have really tried for some of these things that should that should the Democratic Party should stand for the Democrat. You know, if if George Bush would do something we didn't like, we would scream bloody murder. If right. oh, the same thing happened with Obama, we'd say, oh, poor baby, they wouldn't let him. Well, when he's not an office right tried. now, so
0: let's leave that one behind. We were dealing with with Biden and you're running against him. No. And Biden
2: is making, it, all I'm saying, this is not about even criticizing the president. It's saying that the incremental approaches that he has taken will not be enough to win in 2024. Let's talk about the, uh, the minimum should be younger The leadership? president, I don't think it's about age specifically. I think Americans can see where the president, you know, I, I, I feel I can't even speak to that without it sounding personal. The American people don't need to tell me, I mean, don't need me to tell them the things that everybody can see, you know, but I don't even want to go there because I think, I I don't think it's fair to go there. But let me say this, the president promised This is not even about criticizing the president. This is about Democrats coming out of their delusional state about 2024. The president promised, and many people stood in line for hours because of that promise, that there would be a raise in the minimum wage. The minimum wage in the United States is $7.25 an hour. When he got in, he raised it to 15 for federal workers. Then he tried to put the raise to 15 uh, in the COVID relief bill. The parliamentarian challenged him. Now, I assure you, no Republican president allows himself to be stopped by the parliamentarian. When the parliamentarian challenged George Bush, George Bush Uh, fired the parliamentarian. And yet Biden went, oh, okay. You have one third of America's workforce who lives on less than uh, $15 an hour, and half of them cannot find a place to live. It's not even about attacking the president. It's about attacking this notion, this codependency with the uh, DNC that makes any corporate, it makes any Democrat feel, oh, as long as we all just force it, uh, Biden can win. He is at 37% in the polls. And even with 91 indictments against Trump, the president has not been able to consistently break even with him in the polls. At the very least, we should be having a more robust conversation about what might be a better agenda. And I can tell you, as someone whose conversation is deeply suppressed, and I do appreciate your having me on, uh, the conversation being deeply suppressed, particularly blacklisted most mainstream media, This is undemocratic, and it's not good for the Democrats in 2024. We should not apologize for the fact that we want to have a conversation about whether, in fact, the president's agenda. What is his agenda for 24 that we're going to heal the soul of America if I said that? which, and I wrote a book with that title, by the way, but if that's all I said about my agenda, rather than a department of youth, rather than a department of peace, rather than an economic bill of rights, rather than ending America's drug war, they'd say, oh, she's just all talk. What is the president's agenda? The president's agenda is be very scared of Donald Trump, and we're going to heal the soul of America. I that is not have, going to bring out the number of people I think that's putting an awful lot president. on
0: Biden saying to be, I, I think people are genuinely afraid of, or generally not afraid, but generally uh, wary of Donald Trump because of his own actions, not anything that, I agree uh, that, with you. that the president has said. But, that's, but to your point, if if you're going to, if, if you're making this plea, at the end of the day, if it's Biden or Trump, who would you vote for? oh of course i would vote for biden if it was biden or trump That without okay that so let's let's start America with that because you talk about the mainstream media one of the I, I i hate that term there's corporate media and then there's look everybody's mainstream i i i okay okay I, corporate media yeah. corporate media. the idea of mainstream corrected. yeah no that's all right that's yeah. corporate. corporate my media. my term for it um and i use that because mainstream media seems kind of nebulous to me whereas corporate media You're right you're right, you're right five percent of what you see reader here is owned by six you know companies and we need. telecommunications
2: to- uh, act 1996
0: yeah don't get me started the, the, i can go back to reagan on i that. think you
2: agree with me more than you'll give on but go on uh, yeah no i mean
0: uh, well i wrote a book called free the press about breaking up media monopolies i think that in order to uh it was ben bagdickian who was the uh 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 well i knew him as a teacher as well but he was an editor at uh the washington post who said if you want to have real um diversity in the United States, you have to have diversity of ownership. And I guarantee- Hold on know, a moment.
2: When I was a child, yes. the same company was not allowed to own the TV station and exactly. the radio station. Well, that ended with Ronald
0: Reagan. Reagan. That he that started with
2: Ronald Reagan. And, and the Fairness Doctrine uh, being repealed. And then yeah. the Telecommunications Act, though, was, was Bill Clinton. So and at this point, and we have the, the corporate monopolization. Every, well,
0: every I, single president since Reagan has contributed to the demise of the First Amendment. Every, I couldn't
2: agree more. single one. Well, the, the, every, there's this whole issue of trickle-down economics and what yeah, that done. Well, it started with the too. Republicans, I, but no president, no Democrat has stopped it.
0: No, that's true. But uh, uh, it, it, even his own vice president called it voodoo economics. But that's another story. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I'm old enough to have voted in that uh, election. So I do know that, <laughs> what happened then. But to your point about uh, y- you are viewed in... Um, corporate media and, and among uh, as a you know a crystal worshiping guru who uh, is mm-hmm. out there and partly because of some of the things that you've said on the campaign trail and in uh, debates, but partially because how you've been, like I said, on your uh, uh, on your Wikipedia page, these are preconceived uh, notions of who you are. What is wrong with those preconceived notions? How would you correct them? Well, I've
2: written 15 books. I've given thousands of lectures, many of which are online and you will not hear the word crystal once. (laughs) People opine opine about my books who clearly have not read them. Um, The view of me and the crystal lady, the wacky one uh, is a created narrative. It comes out of the PR uh, machine of, of that corporatized, I call it the political media industrial complex and it was used on the last campaign just to deride and to mock, uh, to it's fairy dust that they throw in the eyes of people. Nothing to see there, go, don't go hear her, she's crazy. Because their idea of qualified is someone who is, who is one of their club and qualified to maintain and perpetuate the system as it is. And this time it's uh, even worse. I mean, there is the politics of personal destruction, character assassination, and um, especially in the age of, of online, even like what you and I were talking about before, you can't change a Wikipedia page. So uh, I think that uh, it, it's very dangerous, actually. I am right, well,
0: a, on, on, on that note, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about Eagle Pass and the border and a few other issues. Great. So stick around. we'll be right back.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.
0: Hi, we are back. It is Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Cameron. We're with presidential candidate Marianne Williamson, who this is her second run for the White House, obviously a dark horse candidate at best at this point. And so the question uh, comes to mind, you know, I I was asking about relevancy before and whether you would support Biden over Trump if you weren't in the race and how you would get to where you uh, could make a difference. What would you change? Because being outside of the mainstream, you're going to have a hard time at best you know, pulling the levers of government if you got in. One of the things that you've done recently in talking about one of the issues that has, uh, well, it's been a predominant issue in the United States for 40 years easily is uh, the issue of um, illegal immigration along the border. And you went to Eagle Pass, Texas. How long were you there and what did you learn?
2: I'd be glad to speak to you about that, but I'd like to, if I might take on something that you said earlier, which is part of the, part of everything we're talking about you said she's a dark horse candidate at best yeah, i'd like to you point out a hard, uh, i'd like uh,
0: that's just reality i mean yeah. it, no i'd like to point
2: out the fact yes actually if if okay. i may say so Go for it. uh in the quinnipiac poll i i point out this is the very first week in november in the quinnipiac poll this week i was at 16 percent among democratic leaning voters In the whole contest, I was 11% in the USA Today poll, and I was at 10% on the Emerson poll. In the New York Times poll, in the tab that is Gen Z, the president was at 34, I was at 27, and Bobby Kennedy was at 13. Now, you have Nikki Haley, much lower numbers than I, Vivek Ramaswamy, much lower numbers than I, and yet they have regular appearances on the corporate media news programs that you and I were talking about earlier. So if I'm, I'm at 16%, according to Quinnipiac, among, uh, um, among uh, Democratic-leaning voters, I think your experience in your field leads you to realize that if I had anything close to a fair shot in the corporatist media, I would be much higher. My candidacy is being suppressed. And well, uh, being surprised for a good reason. And they say that I'm not a serious candidate. The reason they say I'm not a serious candidate is because they know how serious I That I'm an unserious candidate is because they know how serious I am. I'm the one talking about the one in four Americans living with uh, medical debt, I'm the one talking about carcinogens in our food. I'm talking about the threat to American children. I'm talking about the fact that we're ramping up that... fossil fuel extraction at a time when we should be ramping it down. I
0: don't think it's that the issues you discuss are unserious. They just think with 16%, it's unserious to look at you as, as a rival to, to at least that's the way I take it from when I cover politics. They're, they they may be painting you as unserious because of crystals and all that other stuff. I, I get that. But- among reporters, it's uh, you have hard time getting traction because it's just sixteen percent. That's
2: where that's mm-hmm. well, I don't I think there are serious uh, uh, serious reporters who would uh, actually disagree with that, okay. but but let's talk about Eagle Pass if you
0: if okay there, where what did you how long were you there and what did you see and what did you learn? I was there
2: for a full day. and uh, I have to tell you it was a very. Uh, it was kind of a profound experience.
0: In what way? And it was,
2: it well, first of all, like with anything else, I mean, why do you go to the border? By the way, why did Kamala not go to the border? Uh, what was that about? You know, that, that she well, what was-, was you, we, What was you, what were okay, you about? That was my experience. Okay. I'll ask her. Okay. <laughs> I expected the situation to seem far more complicated than it is. Uh, what I saw was the racist policies, and I mean racist policies of Governor Greg Abbott, who is joined in those policies with people such as DeSantis. He is overriding federal jurisdiction on that side, on on that Texas side uh, of the land, the public park uh, of the Rio Grande, in a way that's extraordinary. But as one public official from Eagle Pass put it to me, he said, we feel oppressed by the state government, but we feel abandoned by the federal government. So what I realized was not only is is Greg Abbott's racist policies. And that's the only way you can see them. You know, All four of my grandparents uh, came through Ellis Island. And in those days it was keep out the Jews, keep out the Irish and keep out the Polacks. Today it's keep out the Latin Americans. So it's the same thing. So the problem to me is that the Biden administration and the corporatist Democrats in general, instead of creating a counter narrative to the racist policies of the Greg Abbots of the world are in this subject, as in so many others, seeking to play to this mythical center. We can be tough, too, with the president doing such things as building more wall. So what you see when you go to Eagle Pass is believe, that the process.
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. When you go to Eagle well, the
2: processing center, the processing centers could be right there. Right. And that's what they what they show you. And there are people in Eagle Pass, uh, the local officials there, the local cultural leaders, political leaders, certainly the democratic leaders, who who understand the people, who understand the situation. Remember, it is statistically proven that when immigrants come here, if they are given help. Uh, just to integrate within one year, statistically, they are self-sufficient. And if you look at the entire immigrant population, they are much more of a contributor to the US economy than any kind of suck on it. So it's just a full on
0: I'll give you this. And now look, I'm going to give full disclosure here. I lived and worked on the border for quite a while. And I think All of you are screwed when it comes to border policy and you have not a clue, but you are the closest I've heard to touching to it. I am often told that they are lazy and don't get jobs. And then i that's just not true. And they suck up, you know, social services. Then I'm told that they are uh, taking all the jobs from Americans. Here's the truth. And here's what bothers me about anyone who wants to talk to me about border policy. And this has been around. It's not, this is not a crisis. This is situation normal. That's
2: exactly right. Since the 1980s. Thank you. And it has
0: been ongoing since the the crash of of the oil economy in Mexico in the mid-70s. So what happened in 1985 and 1986, Congress actually worked together in a bipartisan bill, the Simpson-Mazzoli Act. Simpson was Republican from Wyoming, Mazzoli a, a Democrat from Kentucky, got together and said, listen, if you really want to solve some of these problems, the simple fact of the matter is, is we can't punish the poor people that are coming across. It is the large American corporations that are hiring them that, in effect, hold up a Help Wanted sign. And so the Simpson-Mazzoli Act was created to, it provided a pathway for citizenship, which Ronald Reagan signed the bill in 86. And he gave amnesty to
2: 6 million people.
0: He gave amnesty and then built, Ways to become citizens, but at the same time, provided heavy fines for the American companies who hire illegal immigrants. And guess what? That's never ever been prosecuted. We still hold up a help wanted sign. And the fact of the matter is, is that this is the new slavery. This these people that come across are at the bottom of the economic barrel. They make our economy possible. So you and I aren't paying ten dollars for each tomato because we have to pay people more than we pay them to make, you know, to pick the tomatoes or construction sites. Your houses are cheaper because we pay under the table to illegal immigrants. And at the same time, this Simpson-Mazzoli bill was just a first step. They planned to go further because one of the carve-outs in the bill was for third party uh, freelance construction workers, right? You weren't technically, you were contractors, you weren't technically an employee. So you couldn't come after my large company because I just hired another company and they hired them. That has never been addressed. Both parties benefit from this. Both parties kick it the can down the hall. And quite honestly, going to Eagle Pass, Texas for one day, I, I applaud you for going to the border. But these people who live on the border, Nuevo Laredo and Laredo were considered sister cities, right? There were there are relatives in Laredo that haven't seen their relatives in 10 or 15 years because of the drug wars. You want to address, and, and they leveled Northern Mexico, destroyed it because of, of our demand. It is the American demand for the labor and drugs that, provide the, that are the more. problem. So if you're going to deal with it, Deal with that. The simple well, fact the matter is, we don't deal with that.
2: Okay, so, so that's my preach the,
0: on that issue. Sorry. Actually,
2: when it comes to everything you just said, I agree with you one hundred percent. You heard me say a few minutes ago that one of the pillars of my campaign is to end America's drug war. I want to help the United States look in the mirror. First of all, look at how Realize much drugs. Is- I just said that. I'm trying to yeah. tell you that is my yeah. campaign. Uh, okay, so first of all. Well, say
0: it. That, if you, I want, to see, the, I want I to see the commercial where Marianne Williamson goes
2: legalized it's, drugs. Uh, wait a minute, Brian. I did say it a few minutes ago. Yeah. Say it in a commercial. Say it loud. I, it, proud. I, it I do, actually. Okay. I do. And I do say it uh, in my website and I do say it in my talk. So let's go back a little. <laughs> First of all, as you alluded to yourself. How much uh, American foreign policy in Latin America over the last few decades has worked to destabilize these economies. It's since. Absolutely. I mean, go back to the. the I agree with you entirely. I agree with you entirely, and continues to, which is why we need to remove the sanctions on Cuba and Venezuela. Both of those are countries where people, the average American doesn't understand what these sanctions do, and how violent they are. They don't so much hurt the people that they are intended to harm, as they, attend the aver- they hurt the average citizen, and then these people come over because of these desperate situations. The next thing you mentioned, and I agree with you entirely, so much of the violence that these people are trying to escape is because of the drug cartels. That's because of the black market that we help create. So ending America's drug war, looking at what Richard Nixon did in 1971, uh, looking at what John Ehrlichman, when he came out of prison and said, they knew it was a canard. They knew it wasn't public enemy number one. We have spent uh, a trillion dollars uh, since 1971, we spend over a billion, 100 billion dollars every year, and for a fraction of that money, we could have a world-class uh, recovery options. We need to treat drugs as a health issue, not criminal. In the meantime, as you yourself just said, although it won't solve the problem entirely, ending the drug war will, in large part, undercut the power of the drug cartels. I agree with you entirely it was, it with was what some... you said about immigration. By the way, my father is an immigration lawyer. My brother is an immigration yeah, lawyer. Yeah, then you know that so most not like. Yeah, exactly. My, my information not, did not come from from yeah. just one day in uh, in Eagle Pass. You know, I, I agree yeah. with you on that. I think I'd agree with you on more other things too if you give me a listen. But that's okay.
0: I, I'm I'm listening. I'm li- <laughs> now I'm <laughs> Fraser Crane. I'm listening. So the the but um, I and most illegal immigration is also expired visas. A lot of it is, is, is not. And
2: also expired. exactly. And the undocumented are undocumented because we force them to live in the shadows.
0: Yeah. And yeah, that's that's all true. So that issue aside, we've permanently uh, cut the legs out from under the the Republicans and the Democrats just now. But uh, that aside, how are you going to make your voice heard if you're uh, I mean, commercials and uh, you don't have the money that a a large campaign has? So, I I mean, that's you are facing a total uphill struggle to get yourself. Yes, I am. You have to overcome the yes, fact that they think yes, some I people am. think you're a nut and some people think that you, you have nothing that you're unserious. So how do you I mean the best way to combat that is with advertising. Yes,
2: yeah, of course. Well, first of all, people who think I'm a nut, uh, I don't think they really listen to me. People who or, or have I'm read just my telling books. you what you you've no, heard. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying okay. to explain it, okay? okay. Uh, and uh, anybody who has looked at my website or listened to my interviews or, or 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 heard me speak actually does not think I'm enough. They might not agree with me, but they know differently and uh, begin to realize that this this narrative that is created uh, by the uh, corporatized uh, media and uh, uh, DNC in order to keep me out of the conversation is wrong. So you're right, and it certainly suppresses fundraising, and I could just uh, walk out of here with my head between the legs, but I'm an American woman. This is not right, what they're doing. In the meantime, it doesn't really matter what they think. What really matters is what the people in New Hampshire think. What really matters is what the people in Nevada think. What really matters. So I'm in those states. And yes, I need the money to have bought media. The president—that's how how corrupt this country is. Uh, you know, the president did a twenty-five million dollar ad buy the other day. It's all dark money and all of that stuff. No, I don't have that. But I go back uh, to that sixteen. So are you doing in
0: New Hampshire? You're sitting now, having covered New Hampshire. I know how. Mm-hmm. That, I, I mean, I've covered those mm-hmm. for years. You mm-hmm. are meeting in coffee shops. You're at, mm-hmm. at PTA meetings, churches. Uh, my friend Cindy has a has a dinner you're going to that there may be five or six I mean you're mm-hmm. working very small crowds to medium-sized crowds in mm-hmm. uh, and so how what's what's your reception among uh, New Hampshire voters
2: people who hear me I'm golden with people who hear me once people come and hear me I get standing ovations I show you I get more standing ovations than Joe Biden does the problem is the narratives to which you've referred keep people from coming to hear me. It's like they have this idea of me as this wacky. I mean, the stuff that they say about me is so ridiculous. And so too often people won't come listen. Do you think any of
0: that has to do with uh, your performance on, uh, on national television
2: during the debates? During those debates. Yeah, of course. I, in my nervousness, I did say a couple of silly things. Absolutely. It does. I'm not uh, failing to take responsibility for that, but let me tell you something else. I also said some very serious things. Some very serious things as well and have continued to
0: i i, I don't disagree you with know you. so would, joe would biden is then what would you, you know what would you like to say hey look mea culpa is there
2: anything that you would no take mea culpa there. there's, no, there's no mea culpa there there's just that i said i'll meet you on a field of love you know this is kind of like embarrassing it's cringe i wouldn't call it mea culpa it's like having a sense of humor saying well i can see where somebody you know but then on the other hand, like I said, I also said some very serious things. And then they say things like, well, she gets angry at staff. Well, in the article, what about President uh, uh, President uh, Biden? And I, I have seen a president in the White House get no angrier than I've ever gotten or any man that I know at the office. So they say things about me. You know, if, if Bobby Kennedy fires a, fires a campaign manager and gets a new one, it's reported as fact. If uh, if DeSantis fires a campaign manager, uh, it's reported as always shaking up his team to do better. If something like that happens with me, oh, she's obviously a crazy woman and her campaign's in and disarray and, and uh, uh, she doesn't know how to manage anything. They just talk about me and will say things about me that they would never. You know, and it's interesting. I have had a 40 year career and uh, I've been a successful entrepreneur. I'm a successful writer. Uh, they can say whatever they want, but they can't change the facts. I never felt in I mean, my this career. This is the United States, States in 2023.
0: Woman, they always change the facts.
2: That's yeah, funny. well, apparently so, especially with online. And that's what's so dangerous the disinformation yeah. everywhere. But I never felt in my career that my being a woman was holding me back or limiting me in any way. The misogyny in politics, I think specifically in presidential politics, because. It's proven that when it comes to congressional races and Senate races, people are willing to vote for a woman. But when it comes to presidential, I mean, the things that are said about me that would not be said about a man. It's uh, its almost shocking, actually. And sometimes I have to say by women. There's well, a lot of internalized. Don't even
0: there. get me started on that. That's <laughs> sometimes. Well, see, that's a conversation I can't have as a man, but I remember it as a child of uh you know my mother was a sole provider with four children and uh sometimes it, the things that women said about her were far more disparaging than men but with that being said it also wasn't a woman who chased my mom around a desk and i threatened to beat the crap out of him because he was sexually harassing my mom in front of me <laughs> that's <Wow>. so that's <laughs> i th- that has always been a problem but um we're going to take a short break again here in a minute but before we go to break let me ask you this um Going ahead, moving ahead, where uh, let's I know it, it's it's a, a morass to drag us into, so I'm gonna keep it uh, a brief. But here we are in the Middle East. Um there's been a, a rise in anti-Semitism, a rise in Islamophobia, uh, a rise in violence. No one is responsible for it more than uh Hamas by beginning the the, you know, beginning the conflagration. But there are those who've been critical of the um response from Israel and you find the current uh, president trying to moderate it a bit and getting Israel to hold back so that you can get at least a humanitarian pause to get people out of the region. Uh, how would you do it differently?
2: I think we need an international consortium to enter here. Even China asked for a peace conference. We need an international uh, consortium, Arab okay, leaders, people from all over this country. Uh, a group that would come together and help broker this, uh, a ceasefire in exchange for the release of those hostages. It's the only way because the only ultimate solution well, okay, here. Let's, only...
0: but I'm going to I'm going to uh, let me just hammer down on that. A ceasefire means a cessation of hostilities, which the Biden administration and Israel and many others believes any cessation in uh, hostilities will allow Hamas to rearm. So they are advocating pauses in the violence to get people out. There's, a, I understand
2: that. Yeah, okay. I do so, understand that. Listen, there's no listen, and, and and there's legitimacy to that point as well. However, this is how I see it. The only ultimate solution here, the only ultimate solution, is a resurrection of the two-state solution.
0: That's what Biden. So says.
2: he's right, but what Biden is saying is go ahead, Israel, do what you need to do. And then we need to get to the two-state solution. What I'm saying is let's get to the, let's let's avoid the un- unbelievable amount of deaths and horrors that are going to occur on both sides here. And let's go to the two-state solution now. Let's get together. What I would do as an American president is call together a consortium. Uh, the Abraham Accords themselves prove Arab countries don't want this either. No, no, people—they don't want this either. This is not helpful for that region. And to 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 create at least a conversation about a, a, an ability to broker this in such a way that we go straight over to a two-state solution, which is the only thing that ultimately can happen here, anyway. And that is the path that I would be uh, seeking to. Uh, I would, would want you the United seek States to broker to that, that.
0: As would you seek to broker a peace accords as president?
2: Well, of course, but well, many and democratic presidents. Have, I mean, it, it, Clinton t- tried, and and it, you know others have tried. I think the one the American president, to be honest, who if you look back and go, which one had it most correct, was Jimmy Carter.
0: Yeah, he brokered it at Camp David. He won, you mm-hmm. know, Nobel Peace Prize. But
2: also the way he continued, even in his post presidency, to yeah. talk about this.
0: Well, he's yeah. much more uh, appreciated now and respected now as a former president than he ever was mm-hmm. as president. Mm-hmm. But, but even on
2: this topic, it's yeah. interesting.
0: So, we're going to take a short break and we come back. Okay, thank you. To be the conversation with Marianne Williamson, candidate for president on the Democratic ticket. Stick around, we'll be right thank
2: back.
1: Thank you. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show. To help support us by becoming a member on Patreon, for the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
0: Hi, we're back. It's Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. We're going to ask Marianne Williamson, who's running for president, if she's seen the new Beatle film first. Have you, have you heard the new Beatles song?
2: Oh, that new song. I saw about half of it, yeah. you, you a Beatles fan? It. Oh, of course I'm a Beatles fan, but that was so sad, you know, just to hear the way uh, Paul was talking. And yeah, it always makes me sad.
0: The video itself the video for the song i just we i just I did a interview with uh john Fugel saying and james uh uh rosen and we were all talking about as Beatle fans how much we enjoyed it i had to ask you because you're a, uh you you have to be like me an original uh beetle fan the generation that saw them on the ed sullivan show
2: i remember i i was and i remember the night in 1980 when john lennon died oh. i remember it like it was yesterday
0: yeah uh, you know, there was i was at uh, my college radio station i was doing a radio show halfway through the show i got a call and there was a uh, yeah. dinging on the ap alarm and they said that john had been shot and so mm-hmm. i got the roosevelt hospital on the line confirmed that he was mm-hmm. dead played 4 hours of uh, beetle music and then uh, flew to new york and stood in line and mourned for several days there and what was wild about that is there was um Siskel and Ebert showed up at our college and did a, a speaking engagement about a year later. And they were talking about um, The Manchurian Candidate as a movie and how much it reminded The
2: original me, one. The, the original,
0: original one was original a good one. one. And, um, and how it was scary for them to watch that and then see what happened to John F. Kennedy. And I think it was Ebert who said, he goes, for my generation, uh, the death of of John F. Kennedy represented for me when childhood ended and adulthood began. And I think of December 8th, 1980, as the same for my generation. I was yeah. at that point in time, I realized childhood had ended and adulthood had begun. And it was a sobering reality.
2: That's why that song, American Pie became the biggest seller oh that
0: was um, that, that was different though that was about that was about the the day the music died which was buddy holly in 1959 and he wrote that song in 1970 did you know that did you know hey there you go <laughs> but
2: no because there was a there was a reference to jackie kennedy in that song
0: no that There's that a, song is about that song is all about the day the music died it's about buddy holly that's yeah that, but that's, then what
2: about the reference to jackie kennedy
0: uh, I don't remember the, 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 the yeah.
2: There's a reference to, yeah, to But anyway, the point. I am the generation that uh, for whom those who held aloft our greatest philosophical dreams uh, within the political sphere were shot and killed in front of our eyes. Yes. And I think that there was a loud, unspoken message that came with those assassinations, and in a way, those bullets psychically struck an entire generation. And that message. And in case we hadn't gotten the message, they killed the kid, the kids at Kent State, to make sure we would get the message. And that message was, there will be no further protest. Uh, You will do whatever you want within the private sector, but leave the public sector alone to whoever wants to control it so bad that they will fill in order to do it. And that didn't mean so much that we went into a state of adulthood. But we went into a state of, I think, a prolonged PTSD. And I think that our generation kind of did what we were told to do. And we just poured this prodigious uh, talent uh, and skill into the private sector. But I think that there's something very significant going on right now, and that is uh, because I'm of that. Well, at this point, we're actually scarier of the thought that on the last day of our lives, we're going to have to face the fact that we didn't do what we came here to do. That that's actually scarier than the thought that they might kill us if we do.
0: That's an interesting and- thought. I, I have often thought that um, you do. I like what Jimmy Carter said. You do what you can with what you can for as long as you can. And
2: well, you know, there's an old rabbinical saying you are not permitted to, uh, no, you are not expected to complete the task, but neither are you permitted to abandon it. Yeah. Well, and that's not why I'm going away just because the DNC wants me to.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about that. You talk about, um, uh, the other, there are now two other people on, uh, on the the docket to run for president in the Democratic Party other than you and the president we have uh Robert Kennedy Jr who is denied No
2: Robert Kennedy is running now as an yeah. independent.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. He is independent. And and yeah. uh uh what's his name from uh Minnesota. Dean
2: Phillips and Jen yeah. Kuger.
0: Yeah, so tell
2: me about them. Well, Jen is a friend. Uh and uh Jen and I agree on a lot of things politically. Um, he's, he was not allowed on the ballot uh, in uh, Nevada or in New Hampshire, but he's taking that to court. So we'll see. As far as Dean Phillips is concerned, uh, there are a lot of people asking, why is he doing this? And one theory is in order to undercut uh, any uh, embarrassment that the president might feel if I or someone else uh, does too well in, in New Hampshire. I don't know. I hear he's a nice man. Uh, I don't see any raison d'etre. Uh, for his campaign, well, he says it's because uh, unlike,
0: age. He thinks that there needs to be new leadership, and and let's be honest, we're going to talk about age. Look, I uh, look Keith, but
2: but where is he any different? Where where is he? You know, it's like I said, not on any on different
0: the, from. I mean, he's voted with with Biden, what nearly a hundred percent of the time. So
2: that's the point. So a, a younger body doesn't mean newer ideas necessarily. So I, I understand Phillips, that, but that's not what so, he's saying.
0: He, he's just saying that younger, a younger
2: generation, and what I'm saying is that it's a younger body, but not necessarily uh, any ideas that are any different. So if someone uh, just wants basically the you know the Biden agenda, and a younger body, body has indeed, a better so chance
0: of surviving the four years in office, I mean that's I guess that's where he's getting at. And look, look, I'm not the one to argue the age here because as far as I'm concerned, women, as far as I'm concerned. Donald Trump and Joe Biden are the same age group. And by the way, if you were to be elected, you'd be older than and, and no, I'm, not, I'm 71. Not gonna, and that's yeah, incredible. you would be older than Ronald Reagan when he took office and we all gave him grief for being yeah. old. So None I'm not going things. down the age thing, but that's what he's saying. Yes. So what's, what's your response to that?
2: Okay. Well, one of the things that I say in every talk is that I'm only running for one term. And that then I want to give it over to a younger generation, because uh, I don't think a baby boomer should be president in 2028. I make that a very, I mean, I'd say that in every talk that I give, but I think that. Do you still uh, think that
0: Biden is actually going to run, or do you think that he'll back out and be a one-term president? I
2: don't have any inside information. Uh, You know, I mean, there's so much scuttlebutt and so much talk and so much gossip. Some people say, you know, everybody says everything. Uh, who knows all i know i want to keep my I, I know that whether the president runs or whether a younger shinier version of him runs uh, i have the agenda that would win in 2024 and that would be represent econo- fundamental economic reform and i agree with uh with Franklin Roosevelt alleviation of stress is not enough we need fundamental economic reform so anybody that goes up there, and also anybody that goes up there now, like a Gavin Newsom, who's going to come up and say, I'll take on the insurance companies. Oh, really? Because you wouldn't take on the DNC. You didn't have the courage to take on the DNC, but we're supposed to believe you have the courage to take on Big Oil. No, I think that I'm still the best candidate, no matter who they put up.
0: Well, that's uh, and so what would you do if you're not the president? Would, you'll support the president. What would you go out speaking for the president? Do you would you support the Democratic uh, uh, whoever it is, the candidate on the Democratic Party, and go out and put, put some energy in? As you said, it's not abandoning the fight, but uh, continuing the struggle. Would you do that?
2: No. The day they asked uh, President Biden, if should I be the p- candidate, would he support me? On that day, I think it will be fair to ask me if, if he's the candidate, uh, will I support well, him? He's already the uh, president.
0: Right. So yes,
2: I mean, and he may or may not be the candidate in 2024. Right now, I'm running. But you did ask me what I vote for him if it was between him yeah. and Trump, and absolutely, I would vote for for. I'll, I'll be voting for the Democrat. I can tell you that much. Well, that's I, I, okay.
0: You're a Democrat. That's what I would think. So, but my question is, what? All right. So at the let's finish this with this thought. What would you like people to know about you that isn't known and what would you do what can you do do you have enough money to put out advertising what would you do um going forward to expand your appeal mark you mind you here's the what many voters see at this point many voters see a danger or a or a solution with Donald Trump and those who support him are vocal they are uh energetic and they vote. You have said that the biggest problem in the Democratic Party in 2024 is voter complacency. So what exactly would you do to, at the end of the day, to erase or to eradicate or to alleviate voter complacency
2: in the Democratic Party? That's a long run. (laughs) No, the answer is run. And that's what I'm doing. I am my candidacy, not me personally. My candidacy is the antidote to voter complacency because I am proposing a genuine alternative, a compelling genuine alternative to what the republicans are offering i'm offering an economic bill of rights with universal health care tuition free uh, uh, college loans subsidized child care paid family leave guaranteed sick pay and a guaranteed living wage i'm offering the idea of a department of peace a department of children and youth i'm offering uh an agenda to uh in the drug war and as you said what would i have people do i would have people hopefully Go to Marianne2024.com, look at my issues page. No other candidate, Bobby, Cornell, or the president, have the detailed set of solutions that I am recommending. And I hope that people will come hear me uh, and uh, decide for yourself, but not take some uh, platitudinous uh, version uh, and caricature of who I am that is handed down uh, by the DNC. Uh, i don't understand why so many democrats have this kind of codependent relationship with the dnc that you don't see uh in the republican party this is democracy and i believe that every voter owes it to themselves well, i do see and it, the to their country <laughs> i see well, a codependency well,
0: there i i think the parties are i see it with
2: with him with with trump for sure yeah. but they don't look at the rnc as like the be all. i mean and the democrats is like the the r the dnc says we're going to go here Well, they're just the administrative arm. I mean, it should be the voters. Jefferson said the only safe repository for power in the United States is in the hands of the people. And it should be the the, the role of the the political party traditionally is to stand in the, exactly, they should stand in the back and let the people decide. And then they step forward, starting in 2016 with the suppression of Bernie's campaign. Well,
0: didn't even want to see a political
2: party. He said he thought it was the biggest threat to democracy. And uh, and Washington, in his farewell address, forecast, he said, that it would form factions of men more loyal to their party than to their country. And uh, unfortunately, that that is happening.
0: I was also in uh, Chicago. Was it Chicago or Philadelphia? The night uh, 2016, um, uh, Philadelphia. I was there in that uh, Democratic National Convention when the Bernie Bros said that if uh, Bernie didn't get the nod, they were voting for Trump, and as much as anyone else. That dissatisfaction did help drive people towards Trump. So, that-
2: what I would say to that, and I certainly did vote for Hillary in the general, absolutely. But what I would say to that, if the DNC had simply kept their hands off the scale, I don't know who would have won. I don't know whether Hillary would have won the, the primary or Bernie would have won it. But Trump would never have been president because there would this cynicism and anger would not have been aroused. The DNC should have left, kept their fingers off the scale, You're and the they DNC did it again for in- Trump. I'm blaming the DNC, what I'm blaming the DNC for, which, by the way, they admit having done. It's not like they didn't admit in court. They did it. They just said, we're a private corporation, so we have the right to do it. I'm saying if they had not put their fingers on the scale, then either Hillary or Bernie would have won the the uh, primary. And I think that more Democrats would have showed up to vote. That's what I do believe.
0: Now, I, I believe that Donald Trump and the uh, Republican Party did a great disservice to the country. I think those dissatisfied voters who wanted Bernie and did not accept Hillary accelerated it. and But it was the Republicans who went for 20 years of tearing, because they knew Hillary wanted to run for office. There was a character assassination job that went on for 20 years. You talk about what's been done to you. This is typical in American politics. This is not- Particularly towards women. It, well, but- yes, particularly towards women. But look, we love in this country- to build up icons and then to smash them down. So
2: well, I look forward to the play. building up part in my, in my case. But I I, I, I this is the issue well, I have. Were, no, no, wait
0: a minute. Before that before you were on the stage and and during the debates, there was a lot of talk about you and it was a lot of it was
2: positive. That's why they tore me down. That's why they tore me down. Well and
0: and like you said so the the you know from a place of love some of the things that you said Help hasten that, don't you? I mean, you've you've accepted.
2: I that. didn't say anything. I didn't do anything ridiculous any more than what Joe Biden does when he smelled too many little girls' hair. I'm sorry. It's what I, they I'm choose not to focus I'm on. Not,
0: yeah. I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. I'm just saying you've accepted the fact that part of what you did led to yeah. where you are. But,
2: what I, but but that's my point. But if your I may point is,
0: is that you
2: aren't able to get
0: away with it, and men are.
2: No, that was not actually the point I was. Oh, going okay. To make. The point I was going to make is that. In life, just as when you said to me, "Do you think anything you did gave make you know, gave them ammunition?" I said, "Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to the Democratic Party, what is the reticence to say, "Well, what could the democratic maybe there's something for the Democratic Party to look at here as well?" And there's such a resistance to that. Everything you're saying about the attacks on Hillary for 20 years are true. Everything that you're saying about people saying, well, I'm not going to vote for her now. All that's true. Jill Stein. All that's true. But it is also true. Those things can all be true, yes. that the DNC suppressing the candidacies that it doesn't choose are creating a lot of the problems. And I'm telling you something, it's creating problems for 2024, too, because a lot of people are seeing what they're doing to me and they're, they're not liking it. And well, they're there's, not there's
0: a real fear that 2024, I mean, uh, Biden says we're at an inflection point. He's hopeful for the future. I, I want to see us get through 2024 right now. Congress is a mess, a flicking freaking mess. And uh, I don't know how any of this boils out. The next year is very interesting. Too many plates spinning. You said at the beginning of this interview, predictions are hard to make. I agree. I don't know where we're going to be a year from now. I I doubt that anyone can say for sure. Um, I I think it's probably one of the most tumultuous times since 68 and uh, in in my lifetime. And, And I can only imagine what 2024, the election looks like. But that being said, you do understand that there are a lot of people, majority of people who don't like Trump, who will take Biden because he's not Trump and not look any farther past that. And then there are others who don't like Trump, don't like Biden, and will stay home. We are the only country I know of that believes that 50% voter turnout is a good voter turnout, which means that in if only 50% show up to vote, that means 25% plus one will get you elected which means only a quarter of the people need to support you. Donald Trump has 28% support in the Republican party is 20%, 20 something percent of registered voters. That's the fear. That's what everyone's talking about. So how do you, you battle that?
2: By saying to people, come hear me, come listen to me, because what I'm proposing to the American people is the best option for the Democrats being able to defeat the Republicans in 2024.
0: There you go. That's a great way to finish. <laughs>
2: that's, Thank you. That,
0: that should that
2: should be a, that's a bumper sticker. <laughs> I have an idea for how to win in 2024. I have go. a better idea. Well, that's listen, exactly why I'm doing it. When people say to me, how can you do this? Don't you realize the fascists are at the door? My answer is that's why I'm doing this.
0: And with that, again, Marianne, thank you for joining us. It's been a very wonderful conversation. Um, I wish you the best of luck and love to have you you back. And we'll talk some more if you're up for it. Thank you. All my best. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. The name of the show is just, oh, wait a minute. You want to plug where people can find you online? Oh, thank you.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. People can find me at Marianne2024.com. M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E, Marianne2024.com. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us and we will catch you next time.